0: Marketing is a lot like dating. Sales is where you're getting a little more serious. The wedding is where they convert to be a customer. You got your onboarding, which is your honeymoon. woo this is going to be awesome. But guess what? The bulk of that whole relationship is the marriage, which is retention. And it is not tactical. And it is challenging, which is why for your post-sale team, they're really relying on you To choose those right dates and attract the right people to get into these long-term relationships with.
1: Hey team, I want you to meet Anita Toth, Chief Churn Crusher at Anita Toth Incorporated. But first, here's what Ryan Paul Gibson said about Anita. Anita Toth. Anita is interesting. She's on the customer success side and she has a great name. She calls herself the Churn Crusher. And uh, we've talked a couple of times and what I like about her is She is, like me, hyper-focused on a part of a business that is very important for long-term success. Because churn is going to be such a, a big metric for SaaS companies going forward. How do you keep customers around for longer and why? How do you succeed in that? And she's just lots of fun. Hey, Anita. What are three ways your team converts your market into revenue?
0: The biggest actually has been around establishing partnerships with key companies that also serve our ICP. So what we what we look for in an ideal partner is that they're complementary to what we do, and this allows us then to combine our marketing efforts. And um, the one thing we do is each quarter, we identify and look f- to develop one type of uh, partnership with, like I said, a company that is doing something complementary and already working with our ideal customer profile. So that's the first one. The second one is um, creating content that really speaks to the uh, pain points of our ICPs. So what we've chosen to do is just focus on four pillars for all our content. So for us, it's customer feedback, churn, customer relationships, and voice of the customer. And that's been really helpful because it's really easy to start creeping outside of that. And those four pillars really keep us focused then on our ideal customers. And then the other thing we do is we use storytelling everywhere we can. So this might be from personal founder stories. So I'm the founder. So my personal stories to client stories. Um, And what we're an agency that collects customer feedback. not such a sexy topic for a lot of people. We love it. Uh, But what we do is we use the techniques like customer interviews to help bring the hard data we collect to life. So this way, potential clients can better see themselves in the story than they can just looking at the numbers. So those are the three ways that we do that.
1: What are three hard problems that you recently overcame? Mm
0: -hmm. This was this was fun. Um, going up market to now sell uh, voice of the customer programs to chief customer officers who are employed in much larger companies than we've served up to this point. So it meant doing a lot of research to understand how they how uh, they see their issues, how it manifests for them, and what's at stake for them if they don't solve the problem. And we're in the process of finding out how we can leverage some of our content. And you know, just adapt it to this this new ideal customer profile. So that's one. Um, the second, and uh, this seems so trivial, but putting in a new system to start culling old content that doesn't serve us well, um, or finding new ways to refresh it, and that's uh, and use it for our two main um, ideal customer profiles. So this is for chief customer officers and customer success leaders. And we do have a small third ICP and that's um, customer success managers. Um, But it's been harder than anticipated because it's really difficult to kind of, you know, throw away, discard um, stuff that you've put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into that content. And uh, if you can't adapt it, it means it's got to go. So that was actually um, harder than I thought. In sitting down and deciding what we're going to keep and and what needs to go. And then um, the third thing that's hard is, of course, saying no to opportunities that don't align with our vision of making happier customers across the world. So as a company grows, there's some tempting opportunities that we've had to turn down because they pull us from from our vision. Um, But I wouldn't say we've overcome this yet. We've been, you know, kind of pulled to the side a couple of times. So It's it's a continuous issue that we have to deal with, but we know that if we stray, then it could potentially ruin us. So that's been really challenging to stick to our guns when there's these shiny new opportunities and just say no to them. Nope, we're not going that route.
1: What are three roadblocks that you're working on now?
0: Well, we're hiring our first CMO. Um, I'm just starting to chat with potential CMOs. So this is a huge step for us. Um, We're going to start with a fractional CMO first. Um, I want to see what it's like to to work with the CMO. And then eventually we will hire someone out of that experience full time. But rather than just like jumping right in and hiring someone full time, we've decided to go the fractional route. Um, It will just help us also better understand like what does the CMO need from us and how that relationship works. So that's one roadblock. Um, finding new ways to market to CCO. So like I mentioned, we're going up market now. And um, our other two ICPs, so customer success leaders and our very small group of um, customers, uh, customer success managers, are they're very active on LinkedIn. So we've devoted like 80% of our marketing efforts there. It makes sense. Like they're congregating there as well as in in some Slack groups. But um, chief customer officers are different. Uh, they're on LinkedIn, but they're not necessarily active like our other two ICPs. So our challenge has been now we have to come up with a whole new marketing strategy for, for this this new group. So yeah, it's been a bit challenging. I think we're going to go the old school road of uh, cold email. I think that's, that's where we're headed. And then um, the third is creating new content, of course, for those chief customer officers and creating new funnels. But um, they definitely buy differently than our other ICPs who, who may or may not have budget. But chief customer officers do hold budget. So we have to figure out, like, what is that buyer's journey like and how are we going to facilitate that through our marketing?
1: What are three mental models that you use to do your best work?
0: Okay, Chris, so like full disclosure, I had to look up what mental models are. I know what they are, but I was like, but really, what are they? So uh, this gets a bit esoteric, but um, I think it's worth talking about because I did look them up and these are things I use. I just didn't know those are the terms. First one's pretty easy, create routines for my success. So my morning routines like look boringly similar every day, uh, but what this helps me do is conserve energy so that I'm not wasting a lot of a lot of time and I can really get in my work and focus. Okay, so here's one of the esoteric ones. It's called Bayesian thinking and that this is we should continuously update our probability estimates as we come across new information. So essentially, when you come across new data, you shouldn't blow it out all out of proportion like email marketing is is tanked and zero response rates and like you're just crazy stuff like that. But we hear stuff like this and then we don't update our thinking. Is this accurate? Is it not? So um, the thing is that uh, you should use it to update confidence in your existing beliefs. And if you do, uh, what happens is your reasoning will be more nuanced, accurate and useful. So when new information comes in, question your thinking on it, but you don't have to panic or what most people do is get very rigid. So you're just looking at your beliefs. How does this information affect my beliefs? What can I learn from it? And then we've heard of, um, is it Oxum's razor, Occam's razor, something like that. Anyway, I know I mispronounced it. I didn't know that there's Hanlon's razor. So here it is. Never attribute malice that can be adequately explained by neglect. So in other words, when something happens um, and it looks like somebody has quote unquote done something to me, maybe it wasn't a malice thing, but maybe they just didn't know. And this is particularly important as we're, we're hiring and working with new team members that I look in, at myself and say like, did I provide this person the information they needed? Um, to, you know, do that part of the job. Is this malice? Probably not. It's just neglect. They didn't know that they needed to do that. Or I didn't explain myself or I didn't give um, enough resources for them to be successful in that task. So this is something I'm very conscious of. I do have other employees I work with, but particularly, particularly for a CMO, because I've been doing a lot of the content myself and uh, I feel it, there's going to be a little resistance in, you know, being able to pass it over. Like I said, especially if I put a lot of blood, sweat and tears in, um, it's it's going to be yeah a little bit challenging to hand that over. So it's called Hanlon's Razor.
1: What are three techniques that other GTM teams need to try?
0: Okay, so this is a fun one. Some marketers agree with this. Most marketers either haven't heard of this or, you know, it's something they're not interested in practicing. And that's looking to convert for the end game, which is retention. Uh, One of the challenges I work on the post-sale side. So with customer success teams, it's all about retention, but it's really hard to retain a very poor fit customer. You can throw as much money, support, resources, time, energy into them. And if they're a poor fit, they're a poor fit. And they're a poor fit because of what happens on the pre-sale side. So both marketing and sales. So um, customer success, like goldmine of information about how customers think, feel, what problem they're trying to solve, how they view their problem, and how they view their solution. And as a marketer... Um, Yeah, I used to have a Facebook ad agency, so I do understand what it's like to be on the pre-sale side. Also understanding, like, how does your solution fit in with their bigger ecosystem, their bigger problems? And the more you can get all of this info from customer success, the easier it makes your job to come up with marketing campaigns that are much more targeted to those specific issues and those customers' way of thinking. So um, for me, it makes sense. If you can, might mean your leads go down, but if the quality of them goes up and revenue for the company goes up, well, then you then you end up looking like a hero. Especially if you can show that, hey, we changed our campaigns. We're attracting less leads, but way better ones. Wow, look how it is on the on the back end that we're retaining customers. Our customer lifetime value has increased. Our retention revenues have increased, all from our marketing. So, um, and then lastly, just about, you know, customer marketing itself, that this is now a burgeoning field that is really, really growing quickly. So we're already, we're already seeing it in marketing with this separation between sort of pre-sales marketing and, uh, customer marketing. So that's one, sorry, I went a little long on that, but I, I really think this, I'm very passionate about it. Um, and again, this kind of comes into it. So if you don't have a customer success team, then meet with support, meet with your professional services team, meet with whoever is post-sale and talking to the customer and find out, again, what your customers think, feel. And this is the biggest, how they conceive of their problem relative to the other issues going on. So it's not just about your solution, your product. How did they see the problem? Because if you can manage to see it through their eyes, then you can position much better To attract those, again, good fit customers, which is what you want. And the last thing is um, focus on yourself and not on what the competition is doing. I think we, you know, uh, marketing can get very tactical. And so um, I'm more of a strategy person. Again, like I had a Facebook ad ad agency in the days when we were still using Power Editor. Like that's how long ago it was and And tactics were changing constantly, but you get tired of that versus, okay, so our strategy again is to start attracting better fitting customers. That's a strategy. A tactic is, uh, we're gonna change whatever color button on our on one of our landing pages and a B test and see how it goes. So um, that would those are those are my three suggestions for that.
1: What are three questions you love to ask, and why?
0: Okay. So um, it's not a question, but it, so we do customer interviews, right? So we're speaking with people all the time. It's not a question, but it's my favorite thing to ask. Tell me more. I'm curious. Can you tell me more? And dot, dot, dot. That is, that is one of my favorite things to ask. Another, uh, so, and then, of course, I was going to say my second and third favorite are kind of similar, but let's, let's get away, uh, away from that. Another one is, um, I just will write. I will ask this question: thoughts, your thoughts, and that will be an email, just like that. Thoughts? Question mark? Um, or I ask, you know, thoughts. If it's a conversation like this where we can see each other, they can see. You know, I'm kind of like, not sort of shrugging, but in encouraging you to speak. Um, and then the the third question. So tell me more um, thoughts and. Um, how did you feel about that? Or how does that make you feel? So buying decisions are made on feelings first, rationalized second. And even for, you know, something like gum, oh my God, my breath smells bad. I don't want others to think badly of me feeling. I'm going to buy this gum and, you know, solve that issue. Right up to really big things. Like if you work for an enterprise company, the people who are championing your product have a lot at stake in terms of their status, how others are going to view them. Maybe their job might be at risk. So it's understanding that that decisions are made on emotion first, and then rationalize. So I always ask about feeling. Business settings, I sell B two B. So how do you feel about what I'm proposing? How do you? How does that make you feel? Um, and then, of course, I also ask, you know, um, what do you think? But I want to get the feeling. I want to get a sense of, all right, what's really going on so that I can tailor how I'm speaking with them or or the other questions I'm going to ask to go a little deeper. So those are those are my like, I'll call it two and a half because the first one's not really a question, but I use it as a question.
1: Who are three operators that should be our next guests and why?
0: Oh, my God. So I like so excited by these people. I hope that they can come um, to the show. Uh, I've been a huge fan of Andre Chaperone, uh, tiny little businesses for years. He is a um, a pull marketer. So he believes in building uh, worlds that your customers want to enter. And because your values align they end up staying with you for a very long time versus using, again, more of this tactical approach. He also has um, a partner now, Sean Twing. Um, And really all they do is email marketing. That's the only, you sign up for their list. They're not on social. Uh, Wow. They have done very well over the years by doing this, building a world and then, and then pulling people into that world with their content. So Chris, love, love Andre um, for that. Another guy that I've just started uh, following, his name is Justin Welsh. He's on LinkedIn and Twitter. So Justin's got almost like 200,000 followers on LinkedIn. Um, Again, even though he uses tactics, his overall goal is to make customers happy. So he's also looking down the the funnel um, and on the post-sale side. Uh, he's got a great group, which is like $99 a quarter. I went in and learned so much about, um, structuring LinkedIn posts and structuring Twitter posts in a way that you can repeat and reuse. And it's the structure, um, that really works well because he's a great copywriter. And then using that structure, you put in great content. And then of course you end up getting a lot of engagement. So he's another guy. And the third, love my heart, Anne Handley. Um, uh, she's with Marketing Profs. She's, uh, I think a few years ago, was one of LinkedIn's biggest um, influencers. She is just fabulous. So she is a writer. Um, her newsletter, which goes out every two weeks, so bi-weekly, she puts eight to 10 hours just into that newsletter. And when you read it, Um, It's so incredibly engaging. So I don't subscribe to a lot of newsletters. Big surprise. Andre's I do. I read Justin's and I read Anne's. And that's why I'm recommending them because these are top notch people who really know their craft well and um, align with my worldview, which is, again, to bring readers, bring um, leads, to bring people into your worldview versus trying through, um, you know, I'll call them sort of spammy tactics. We've all encountered them. So it's a very different approach. And it really aligns with my value around customer retention and and keeping customers for life.
1: Thanks, Anita. For people who love what you're saying, what should they go do next?
0: Well, it's my second favorite place to hang out online besides Netflix and da, 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 no surprise, LinkedIn. <laughs> you can come and find me on LinkedIn. I'm over there uh, at least I think now what, five, six days a week. And I love engaging. And please mention that you listen to this episode and, you know, it's me. It's not a bot who's responding. Um, because I like to engage people, especially people who are looking to move from that tactical to the strategic, and realizing that marketers are really at the very start of what can become a very long and and profitable relationship. And I don't mean profits in terms of money, in terms of customer outcomes, and as well as you know growing the business. Plus, it makes it so much better on the post sales teams to have really good fit customers and that all starts with with marketing and that you know beginning relationship and if you're curious if you you know do check out my linkedin page i have something called the customer journey and it's very similar to a romantic relationship and you'll see marketing is a lot like dating sales is where you're getting a little more serious the wedding is where they convert to be a customer You got your onboarding, which is your honeymoon. Woohoo, this is going to be awesome. But guess what? The bulk of that whole relationship is the marriage, which is retention. And it is not tactical and it is challenging, which is why for your post-sale team, they're really relying on you to choose those right dates and attract the right people to get into these long-term relationships with. So you'll see the graphic. It makes sense. I hope it will trigger something again. To switch in your mind that really you're looking at long term customer relationships that are profitable for the company, for your post sale teams, and for the customer.
1: Hey, team, what did you think about this? I'm Chris Morgan, host of the Market to Revenue podcast. Shoot me an email right now about what you thought about this episode. It's Chris at market to com. Talk to you in a moment.